0: Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Sisters and brothers and those of you who are worshiping with us by live stream, we, uh, we're always honored that you are with us and joining us, uh, giving praise to our great God and uh, hearing from his holy word. Today, from the wedding at Cana. You know, when I meet with a couple to uh, plan a wedding, I always ask the bribe to describe to me what the perfect Kind of fairy tale wedding will be. Next slide, please. I, I even asked my daughters that two questions as they got the calendar out and started to plan their wedding. And fortunately, fortunately, most weddings go as planned and turn out to be an absolutely fairy tale day. But having done over 600 weddings, let me tell you there have been many of them where something has gone wrong, and there have been a few where disaster has struck. For example, not too long ago, uh, it was just before COVID shut us down, I was doing a destination wedding uh, over on the east side at a beautiful location, and it was gonna be an outdoor wedding, and as the hour came upon us, two o'clock, and everybody was gathered uh, to begin the processional, a huge, I mean, really bad thunderstorm came along, and everybody got soaked and uh, there just was nowhere else to go. Now, that was a disaster. Or the time when the cake baker had the wrong date down, and we all got to the reception, and there was no cake. No wedding cake. What do you do? Huh? Well, Jesus was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, along with his disciples, and Mary, his mother. Now, some commentators, by the way, suggest that Mary probably was maybe an aunt, You know a relative certainly of the bride or the groom doesn't matter the wedding was moving along just fine and the guests were having a great time but the wine was running out now back then wine was to a wedding what cake would be to a wedding today and can you imagine a wedding without cake well this family in cana could not imagine a wedding without wine to offer wine was to show respect to those you had invited and not to have wine was an insult. So what Mary was faced with on behalf of her relatives, it was a social problem. I mean, it was no reason to call 911. It wasn't one of those disaster sort of things, but there was no way to sweep the embarrassment under the rug either. So come with me this morning as we delve delve into this account from John chapter two, one of the seven miracles recorded by John in his gospel, although, of course, at the end of the gospel, John says, now Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. These are written, so in other words, this first one of the seven was written that you might believe. So that's our focus tonight, today. All right, the first of the seven weddings was done in Cana of Galilee. There you see a map. I've been there. Uh, Even today, it's an insignificant town, what we would call a, a post office and gas station town a one-stop sign town now you might have thought that if jesus was going to start showing his glory manifesting his glory showing these signs of his divinity he maybe would have done it right in the middle of jerusalem huh or maybe he would have gone to rome and done it right before caesar or athens in the front of all those smart alecks there but nope he did it in little cana cana of galilee Jesus had started his ministry up at the north end of the Sea of Galilee there in Capernaum. Of course, after his baptism in the Jordan River, he had those 40 days in the wilderness with the devil. And then he started to call his disciples one by one. And the the last of the disciples that he called was probably Nathanael, and that's recorded at the end of John's first chapter. And that's the way chapter 1 ends, calling of Nathaniel, And then the first words in chapter 2 say, and on the third day, a wedding took place. So just three days after he filled his quota of disciples, he went to this wedding that he had been invited to, he and his disciples, and his mother was there. They were probably relatives. Now let me say something about weddings in those days. Weddings included not only the family and the friends, but the whole community was involved And they gathered for as many as seven days, maybe at least five or six days. These weddings were big deals, filled with ritual, filled with tradition. We don't know the name of the bride and groom. Truthfully, John doesn't even call the mother of Jesus by her name. Matter of fact, throughout his gospel, John never mentions the name Mary. He always refers to her as the mother of Jesus. Now we can assume that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, has already died. Single Mary is there, and we are told that she was told they have run out of wine. Now, why? Why they ran out of wine? We simply do not know. Maybe it was extra hot, huh? And the people drank more than they thought that they would. Maybe there were more people there than they planned from the town, from the community. Or perhaps the family had tried to put this wedding on on the cheap, you know getting away with not purchasing any more than they absolutely had to doesn't doesn't tell us why they ran a wine but that that they did and if the host back then could not provide beverage very soon the guests would just go home they would not stay as long as they had planned and that was not good so mary gets this news and now we ask how does she handle the problem she tells jesus that's it That's all she said. She didn't go ballistic. She simply assessed the problem and took it to her son. John Dewey once said, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. If you can get to what the heart of the problem is, you're halfway along the way to getting it solved. And that's what Mary did. She defined the problem. She didn't explode. She didn't say, well, why didn't you guys plan better? Who in the world's fault is this? Is, the, is it the case where if anything right's gonna happen around here, I'm gonna have to do it? She didn't explode, nor did she implode. She didn't say, oh dear, this is my fault. I should have checked on this before I ever came. I'm to blame for this. She didn't explode, she didn't implode. You know, it's easy to focus on everything except the solution. Mary didn't do that. She simply looked at this knot of a problem, assessed what the problem really was, and said, Jesus, can you help me untie this? Can you get me out of this mess? Can you count the number of times that we take things to Jesus at the very end of our problems, you know? After we try everything we can to fix our own problems, we say, well... Maybe I should pray. What causes us to think of prayer as the last option instead of the first? Well, I can think of two reasons, and they're on the screen up there, that we feel too independent or that we feel feel too insignificant. Let me explain. Sometimes we're simply too independent. We begin to think that we're big enough to solve our own problems. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the American way, What, right? Pick yourself up by the boop, strip, boop straps and find your own solutions. And then at other times we think, well, our problems just aren't that big. Insignificant. Oh, of course, Mary can take her problems to Jesus. He's her son. But he doesn't want to hear my problems. Besides, he's got world starvation and weather disasters and warfare and unbelief to deal with. I don't want to trouble him with my little messes in comparison to all that that's a bad conclusion folks remember the hymn oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry
1: everything
0: to God in prayer the last thing we should ever worry about is that we would be a nuisance to God no all we need to do is take it to him right so mary said to jesus they're running out of wine and his answer in verse four maybe troubled you a little bit when pastor smith read it he said woman what does this have to do with me my hour has not yet come well first of all let me clear up that term woman was a term of respect in bible times and the what does this have to do with me is interpreted by the very next words, my hour has not yet come. Jesus here is teaching us a lesson in God's timing and human timing. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is very much aware that his ministry is on God's timetable and it is not predicted by human events. Make no mistake, the Father is in control of the mission of Jesus. And his son's mission would not be rushed by human events. Remember, I told you this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just got done calling the twelve. He hasn't even started to teach them yet. And all those people that he had to teach about the 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 uh, you know what the Old Testament had to say and how they were to live their lives in love. And he's got uh, he's got Gentiles and sinners that he's got to reach out to. There's a lot that he needs to do yet. His time has not yet come here at the very beginning. It'll be months before Jesus reveals the true nature of his ministry. But here's the point you don't want to miss. Even though God will show up in the ordinary, in a little wedding in Cana of Galilee, you can expect extraordinary things. Don't be surprised when you experience a miracle even in what seems to you to be the mundane issues of your life. My life has been pretty mundane for the most part. I stand, I stand in front of you today testifying of the miracles that have happened in the midst of a mundane life. An ordinary Lutheran pastor said to me years ago, why don't you go to the seminary? And an extraordinary career path was opened up for me. I went to an ordinary district convention in Kent at Kent State in 1988, and three days later, I was the Ohio District President. My wife and I were traveling in the bush of southern Nigeria when the car that we were riding in broke down, and an extraordinary miracle of God's grace was delivered to us that day. An ordinary medical test that I took, I mean ordinary, revealed a rapidly growing carcinoid tumor, and due to early detection, I'm cancer free here today. In the ordinary, mundane ways of life, expect the extraordinary grace and mercy of God. And that's why Mary says, do whatever he tells you. She voices her faith when she tells the servants, obey him. Leave it in the hand of my son Jesus. Great advice, my friends. Do whatever he tells you. Uh, You don't have to do what I tell you. As a matter of fact, and you, you better check my words to make sure they, they fit along the words of God's, of God's truth. We're all fallible. We can all be deceived by Satan. We can all sin, and we do. But God will never mislead us. Remember that proverb, uh, the third chapter of Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Good advice do what Jesus tells you so back to the story then Jesus says to the servants fill the jars with water so they filled the jars right up to the brim and then he said to them now take some out and give it to the master of the feast so they took the water to the master and when he tasted it the water had become wine someone once wrote about this miracle The unconscious waters saw their God and blushed. You get it? Blushed? That's a wine. Blushed. The unconscious waters saw their God and blushed. Turned into wine. But did you notice the sequence? First the jars are filled with water, and then Jesus instructs the servant... To take the water not the wine it was still water take the water to the master now if i'm a servant i don't want to do that you know why here's the problem what in the world is the master going to say to me if i give him a cup of water but those servants either had enough naivete or enough faith to trust in jesus and so the problem was solved note though that the water became wine after those servants first obeyed not before and we have to ask the question, what if the servants had refused? What if they had said, no way? I'm not taking this water and giving it to the master or to bring the point closer to home this morning. What if we refuse? Huh? What if we identify our problems, take them to Jesus, and then refuse to do what he tells us? By the way, that's very possible. Very possible. After all, God asks us to take some pretty gutsy moves if you think about it you know the money is tight in the family budget you hardly get the bills paid and yet God tells you to give money to the church huh? or to take care of the poor or you've been offended You know somebody has really sinned against you and God tells you to forgive them pretty gutsy things that the Lord tells us to do Someone at work doesn't do their job, and he says, Well, just be patient. You can't see God's face, and yet he says to pray to him like a child praying to his father. Pretty gutsy moves. Do what he tells you. We better not refuse. Now let's look at the close of this count. In John uh, chapter 2, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In his gospel, John doesn't use the word miracle. He uses the word sign, right? No other gospel writers do that, only John. A sign. A sign doesn't draw attention to itself. It draws attention to something greater than it. If you're, for example, want to go downtown to Playhouse Square to have dinner and go to a Broadway show, you follow the signs to get to the right street, but following the signs does not fulfill your bucket list. Going to that Broadway show is what fulfills your bucket list. The sign is is just there to point to something greater. This is the first sign, John says, Jesus' first miracle, in the midst of a very ordinary event in which God does something very extraordinary and points us to several lessons. First of all, that God believes in marriage. And second of all, that he wants us to have fun, right? Many of the other miracles that Jesus did was to reduce misery and suffering, even death itself. But the host of this party is amazed when the best wine is served last, comes from that wine which Jesus created. Jesus gives us his very best, and he gives it very generously, by the way. Did you note that? How much water was actually in those jars? 120 gallons at least. That equates to over 50 bottles of wine. Not bad, huh? Like Ephesians chapter 3 says, more than we could ever ask for or imagine. It's the way it's been with my life, more than I have ever expected or imagined. And then verse 11 says what the signs did for these wedding guests. It says, His disciples believed in him. Believe is the same word for faith. They placed their faith in him. They followed him. They pledged their lives to him. Their careers, their futures were in his hands. And that, of course, is what he is asking for uh, from us on this third Sunday of Epiphany as he reveals the first sign by which he manifested his glory and calls us to believe. These things are written that you might believe and have faith and pledge your allegiance to the one who died for you. That is, after all, why Epiphany is here, to manifest, to light up for us, to see the glory of our God and to see it every day of our life. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Father, that you have moved your son to honor his earthly mother and that you moved in an unexpected way at the wedding in Cana. Thank you that we can find you in every moment of our lives, even and especially in the mundane. You promise to always be at work behind the scenes and sometimes in supernatural ways, that if we're paying attention, we must truly label our life a miracle. Help us to build our faith as we see your hand at work in the patchwork of our days. Help us to share that faith with those around us so that others will be strengthened in their faith as well. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus, who revealed his glory to us in his grace. Amen. He is a Waymaker. And that's the song that I invite you to rise now and join together in singing Waymaker.